What do we got? Uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, relative to where you are. Uh, my name is Devin Morgan. I'm the director of Youth Baseball at Driveline, founder of the Driveline Academy, and I am joined by Ben Harley, Academy Coordinator. I'm also the head coach of Centralia College. And... Oh, yeah, that too. And we'll get to the next part. Yeah. Uh, and by Academy Coordinator, Kennedy Coaching Operations Coordinator, Tony Davila. Good morning, Tone. Morning. Um, so uh, this is episode two. In fact, it's episode three. Uh, we recorded a second episode that was uh, the audio gremlins got to it. So uh, we're going to try to kind of rehash some of that stuff, but not directly regurgitate it. Um, and this episode will be uh, a touch bittersweet in that uh, our man Ben Harley is actually leaving us to go coach in the Northwoods, uh, which is a really awesome and exciting opportunity. Um, so, you know, much like uh, Dave Mustaine had to leave uh, Metallica, uh, Buster Rhymes had to leave leaders in the new school. Um, ben is going off to coach at a higher level. Uh, and just like, man, uh, for anybody that doesn't know, um, you know, Ben and I basically started this thing together. Um, ben has been absolutely instrumental in, uh, to whatever degree, we have successfully kind of grown this thing and continue to execute it. Um, big part of the skills and skill practice book. So, uh, brother, man, I'm just I'm fired up for you to be able to go out there and, and coach in the Northwoods. What's the team you got? Uh, the Kalamazoo Growlers. That's right. The Growlers, dude. It's going to be fun. It's yeah. Long drive and a whirlwind, but it's been a fun last year and a half. And I feel like we've done a lot of good things. We screwed some things up. A hundred percent. But we've gotten a pretty good progress, I'd say, for an 18 month period. Yeah, man, absolutely. Growing this thing from zero uh, has just been it's it's a lot of work. Um, and I'm just man, I'm, I'm so uh, I'm so happy for you to be able to get that opportunity to go coach in the Northwoods and then go D1 or yeah. pro ball or whatever. We can calls. win an NWAC game first. And I'm babe. Yeah, I'm babe. I'm babe. Um, so, yeah, uh, what episode two was, um, was us kind of talking about some coaching poor behavior largely. Um, my intention for kind of what we were going to talk about today was going to be kind of the parent side of that. Um, but considering episode two uh, <laughs> is basically, we're not going to post that unless you want to listen to Tony having like an hour long conversation with himself because he's the only <laughs> one whose mic worked. Um, I, I think like what we can talk. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's good. Um, what we can do is probably just like roll this thing all into one, right? Because what we're talking about when we're talking about coaching behavior in youth baseball, we're largely also talking about parent behavior in youth baseball because your coaches are your parents, um, and which is literally like the only level of baseball that that thing exists on. Um, so basically, this is just going to be like one long uh, that ain't it chief segment uh, to kind of talk about some of this coaching behavior. But I think the thing that I want to try to do is just dig uh, a little bit deeper in terms of the why. Um, like it's real easy, I think for all of us, when you see like the bad examples of coaching behavior on your social media platform du jour, um, it just like you, you retweet it with like a pithy comment and you kind of just move on. But like, uh, I, I think you have to dig deeper to kind of understand why these choices are being made by parents, uh, who coach in this particular space. Like what's the, the motivation behind that? So, um, so like we'll we'll get right into it. Let me uh, let me cue up some video. If I had an assistant, I'd be like play the clip, and I don't have an assistant. So there's our monitor. All right. So here this was floating around your your social medias a couple of few weeks ago. Um, for anybody that's joining us on a future audio only version of the podcast, I'll just try to set the scene. Uh, this is some ten U baseball in Texas, uh, Abilene, if I if I remember correctly, because I read a little bit deeper onto this story. Uh, it's a nine, three ball game, bottom three, uh, two outs runner on third. Uh, and, and that's essentially what we're going to set as the, as basically the start of this thing and play at the plate, uh, runner slides, umps right there to call it. And umpire goes safe. Kid gets under the tag. Uh, so, so that's the, the impetus for basically everything that happens as follows and then what we get is the kid goes in the dugout, umpire goes to like clean the plate, uh, coach uh, from third base dugout comes out, um, some words are said, some fingers are pointed, uh, coach gets bounced, and then uh, the coach uh, takes it upon himself to shove that umpire into the dirt. Um, if I remember correctly, um, is that you later had... Um, that umpire was transported to a hospital. Uh, paramedics had to come and get him. Um, so, 
there, there actually was a follow-up uh, video um, that I think got a lot less traction from the coach that was involved um, and also the tournament organizer. Um, and, and the coach, you know, kudos for him, I think, for, like, owning the situation correctly in the aftermath was like, hey, man, this is, like, fully on me. Um, I, I set a bad example. It is, like, it is trying to own it. And, and, that's, and that's great. I mean, obviously, the, what you don't want to have in the aftermath of something like this is, like, I was in the right. Yeah. <laughs> my, all my decisions were great. Uh, that's not what you want. So, like, you know, shout out to that guy for obviously having the feel to, like, own it. But um, the interesting thing is, is they did an interview with him, uh, like, on a local news show in Abilene. And uh, and he said, trying to provide context for what happened, he goes, um, it seemed like the calls were unfair to us all day. And apparently there was a bunch of, you know, a bunch of that. And I think... All of us, I can feel confident in saying we've been on fields and have felt that feeling, right? Like you, you feel like your team's getting jobbed, uh, and it just like continues to like ratchet up, like this feeling of like, all right, well, you know, you didn't give us that strike there, and then you 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 took away this, and then that runner was called. Like, there's this escalation, and I get it. I 100% get it. I think the the baseline issue there is that these are 10 year olds. Yeah, I was gonna say I. I've I've had those moments where I felt like that. Generally, it's been like varsity high school playoffs, and I'm sure you have that been in like college games yeah. where you know wins and losses matter a little bit more, and you know your job is on the line if you lose a certain amount of games yeah. or whatever. Um, but in ten, you think it's a little different. Oh boy, <laughs> at least you would hope it's different. <laughs> you would hope. So, so this obviously, I think, begs the question, why? And like, as a, you know, amateur armchair psychologist, uh, again, I think the thing that this all starts with is you're talking about a coach, uh, coaching the level that is unlike any other in that you are like, less than 50 yards removed from a person you made. And like, you know, uh, for me, uh, having, co- having kids, having children was like an absolute revelation because it takes you from like i don't want to say selfish like in a bad way although i'm sure that i was probably like (laughs) i'm sure that 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 i was very selfish but like when it's just about you uh life is just kind of like at your mercy and you can take advantage of or waste every opportunity that you can potentially be given when you have a child it's like this other thing where I think for me, it's very much just like, all right, my life has to be lived in service now. Like, that's just what it is. My life is lived in service to my family and my children to provide and protect for them. Like, that's that's it. Like, that 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 is that is it. That is the, the, the quality of my life at the end of the day, whenever I end up taking a dirt nap, is going to be determined on those things. Did I provide and did I protect? And did I obviously try to, like teach them as any of the mistakes that I made and, and orient them away from the failures that I've had. And that's where it gets tricky because I think when you have men and women that played and coached this game uh, when they were kids and they think back about like the successes that they had and missed opportunities, like, well, if, if I had handled this situation differently, then maybe I could have had a high, better high school baseball career. And if I had handled that differently, then maybe I get a chance to play in college. And if that goes differently, then maybe I get a chance to play in the show. Like we draw this like imaginary roadmap of consequence or how that could have gone differently. And then we see our children struggling on a field where you feel like the calls are not going your way. You feel like it's unfair. Mm-hmm. And then because you had this biological imperative to protect your children from uh, danger or the things you interpret as being fearful, obviously there ends up being this emotional component to uh, a call at home plate in the 10U game. Like, I, I honestly think that if you had this same coach coaching a high school team of kids that he is not related to, I don't think it goes this way. I really only think it happens in this environment. I mean, I'm trying to, I'm racking my brain for, you know, I see these videos, like you said, you see these videos kind of once or twice a week. Yeah. And most of them I have that I've, like, looking back on have occurred at the youth level. So it's interesting that you say that because I, I, I don't really see, I mean, maybe here and there you see a high school coach or something, but... A lot of it is like youth summer tournament baseball. So, I mean. Yeah, with the dad coaching. It's yeah. almost always connected yeah. with a family member yeah. of some sort. It's crazy how that one implication changes every action for the entire team and mm-hmm. every kid outcome. Well, that field. A hundred percent. And I think we uh, will regurgitate a little, I think, of what we talked about in, in episode two, the, the lost episode. <laughs> uh, like the the 
the best worst case outcome is that these kids don't want to play baseball. Uh, and, and that's not good. Uh, but like the worst, worst case outcome, I think is that these kids normalize this behavior as they move forward in the game and whether that's the way that they approach competition, uh, for the rest of their careers or some point later down the road where they, they have a family and then they coach that way because it's been normalized, Mm -hmm. man. Like that is a, I don't think that's where we want our game to go. Um, it's a slippery slope. Can just get really bad for so many different kids' yeah, experiences. Right. The cycle so just quick. can continue and continue. Yeah, and like uh, I don't know, you know, I, I think sometimes about this when it comes to like some of the behavior by players that has been again increasingly popularized in the last like couple few years since like the "Let the Kids Play" campaign. Um, and like I think the the impetus of that is like, all right, let's celebrate the fun part of the game. Like let's try to play um, like we're in the Dominican right? Let's, let's have it be fun. Let's have it be energetic. Let's players be able to like celebrate their moments of success. Um, I I think the problem is, is that like sometimes that stuff comes at the expense on the person on the other side of the equation. And, uh, and the tricky thing for me, like, honestly, as a parent, I literally, I literally had a conversation with, uh, with my son on either Monday, I think Monday or Sunday when we went down to the field and just hit, he was like, dad, can we go hit? And of course the answer to that is always yes regardless of like what I have going on in my life, uh, like regardless of how much sleep I've gotten, like it's the answer is always yes. Right. Cause I'm living, I'm living in service. Um, we have our first round and, uh, and I'm, I'm getting everything. We, we go pick and I'm and getting everything back set up. And he's like, he's like, would you be mad if I like bat flipped in a game? And I have this, I literally have this conversation on a video and I was like, uh, I, I don't know, man. I just don't think that's appropriate right now. And he's like, well, what if I do like the Tim Anderson, if I just do like the Tim Anderson, like bat throw thing. And I was like, son, you got to understand there's another child on the other end of that equation. And he goes, he goes, well, if, if it happened to me, I wouldn't care. And I was like, okay. And I said, well, what if, what if it's a walk-off? And he goes, well, if it's a walk-off, it's a different situation. <laughs> and I'm just like, all right. Uh, so th- the thing I'm trying to kind of draw I'm the dots I'm trying to connect here, right? Is that like, we've had this increasing sense of performance uh, and competition outcome being stressed at the youth level. Um, We are like professionalizing youth sport. And again, I will take ownership to whatever degree that we are complicit in that because we run an academy of a select team. Like I, I get that, but it's all about like the culture that you try to have your coaches create. And then that your, your players exemplify and your, and your parents participate in. Uh, when you, when you have like children that are, that are conditioned to believe that their stuff is really important, I think sometimes they're going to have the same big emotions that we do. And then when that comes out the wrong way, it's, it's hard to hold the kids responsible when they're just behavior modeling off of parents. Yeah. It's hard to hold them responsible and be like, how dare you tisk tisk when it's coaches who are being just as caustic in the way that they, their culture on their teams, or, I mean, I don't really want to get into this, but like, uh, college teams that behave poorly and are allowed to behave poorly. I'm, you know what I'm dancing around. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Uh, that are allowed to behave poorly in relationship to the opponent. Yeah. Right. I, I think, you know, like there's just, there are some unwritten rules. I think we all understand about the right way to do that. You know, it's like, it drives me nuts when I'm I'm coaching a bag, and uh, and I can hear that the the coach on the other team talking to their pitcher, and they'd be like, "He, you're gonna blow it by him." Like you talk about your guy, that's your job. You don't talk about my kid. You don't try to slip in this little like deceitful like negativity bomb on my kid. Don't do that. You talk to your athlete, and and that's you. You have some feel about that stuff, right? Especially youth level like there's no it's right like like for college and high school there's some some edge of that is like a little snarky but it's but it's generally in relation to like um a game plan you know like oh you throw 88 and this kid can't catch up to it sure throw it right by him but like at the youth level there's not a lot of like there's not a lot of that like detailed game planning it's like the kid's going out there to pitch just pitch (laughs) 
And, yeah. And so like at the high school and college level, you can get a little bit of that snarky kind of comment, sneak it in. And it's not as, but at the youth level, if you're talking about some other eight year old, yeah. 10 year old. Yeah. It's a little, a little bit of a problem. <laughs> and, and there's a way to do that where you're just incentivizing your kid, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've been in that situation where I've coached a young kid who throws at a velocity that like, it's just going to be way more about his or her ability to execute than it is about the batter's ability to try to mm-hmm. find on time. Cause they're, they're just a stage beyond. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I say in those like, Hey man, just let it eat. Trust your stuff. Everything that I'm saying is I am trying to inspire that kid to be confident in their ability to just go compete in the middle of the zone. It's literally a conversation that I had with our 13 U's last night. We have kids on that 13 U team and our Academy team that are up like five to seven ticks in seven months. Yeah. And these kids are like literally trying to like dot corners. It's like, dude, uh, you don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Just let your stuff play in the middle of the zone. And it's like funny, like Bodie, uh, Kyle Bodie, El Jefe, uh, had a podcast this week where he was talking to somebody about MLB like intended mislocation. Like it's like when Verlander won the Cy Young, I remember this distinctly. There was a stat rolling around that like his average intended mislocation was like more than a foot. On the year that he won the Cy. Isn't that crazy? Which is <laughs> nuts, right? And, and again, but that's it's a level of information that I think most of us parents don't have access to, which then informs the way that we talk to our players or the way that we coach our players in terms of like this inaccurate expectation that we put on them. That just literally, it, you know, yes, you will turn on an MLB game and you'll see guys just like dotting corners. And that's that's true. That happens. Like the the, the guys that played... The guys that get paid hundreds of millions of dollars have that skill. Yeah. Um, those same guys also miss their spots. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's okay. So it is appropriate, I think, to tell a 13-year-old team, just, like, compete in the zone, man. Yeah, and and, and I, think you, I think you said it um, kind of quickly, is, like, a really easy way to do things properly as a coach is, like, just focus on your own team, your own players. Like, we have, we have a thing in our high school where, like, if you're if you're cheering or like whatever you're doing involves the other team, you're doing it wrong. Yep. Like, and even at the that's even at the high school level with eighteen year olds and stuff. Like, you know, like you hear it all the time. Like kids will go up and they're like, "Oh, this kid throws so slow." And it's like nobody needs to hear that. Yeah. Like, I understand <laughs> like that literally... that's a thing, but like, okay, go make the adjustment. Nobody need you don't need to be discussing this in the bolt in the in the dugout. And like making other kids feel bad. It's Worst like, excuse ever for not getting it. He throws too slow. Yeah. It's like yeah. it's like there's one person that's rattled about this, and now we're just gonna like spread it like a virus. Right. Yeah. You know, like yeah. and, and we're not doing the <laughs> affirmational thing of like, all right, hey, uh, if he really if he or she really is that slow on the bump, then maybe the thing to think the thing to think about is like, all right, let's try to stay middle with our approach. Let's almost try to stay oppo with our approach because we're gonna try to force oppo to try to stay middle and pull. Yeah, if I mean, that bad. The, yeah, I guess the problem is that, like, they're not even talking about in-game adjustments. They're Correct. just talking crap. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're, and, just, we're just complaining. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and like, little things that, like, I hear all the time, like, you know, uh, kids getting excited when another kid on the other team makes an error oh, or yeah. laughing or things like that. Like, I've, I coach JV high school baseball. There's a lot of JV teams out there who struggle to, like, play baseball. Sure. And, you know, I have a team. My team this year had two Division One commits on it on a JV level. So, you know, we're winning games. You should say that twice. Yeah. Two Division Your JV one team <laughs> has two D1 commits. Yeah. Yeah. To, to Power 5 schools. Um, and uh, Which is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but But, I mean, so we're winning games, like, like we won in game 23 to one and you know, we're trying to get through these games and like, I'm trying to coach my team to do the right things, you know, get better things like that. But there's a way to do that without making the other team feel like they never want to play baseball again. And that, I think that's a really like key thing that a lot of younger coaches or younger team coaches miss is that like, there's a way to stay aggressive, you know, compete your butts off, but still make it enjoyable, not necessarily enjoyable, but make the other team not hate their life yeah. while they're playing the game. Not a miserable experience on the field. Yeah, exactly. Um, you so, guys you guys are not going to believe this, but there was a... Well, you will believe it. I'm being facetious. 
uh i can't even remember what it was uh oh i know what it was there was a post that floated around this week about kids and belts what happens if you oh, get a belt yeah i we're, i don't want to completely derail this conversation but one of the guys who's being a hardo about like uh in the comment section there um you know, it always devolves into like, well, well, how how high of a level did you play, and what you know, and what are you doing, et cetera, et cetera. And the guy like was talking about, oh, you know, I did this and this, and and the guy just played some JV baseball in high school, and then he's coaching a youth team, mm-hmm. and he says, you play to win, and you play to make your opponent hate the game. Oh, jeez, literally, that, the that's a, that's a screenshot. <laughs> I'm not I'm not just making that up. Yeah, that's bad. I, I should probably screenshot, but like that's literally, and I and I was just like, all right, uh, screenshot. It's literally the opposite of what we want. <laughs> but what set of like logical reasoning is this person using to have that perspective? Right, like to what degree does this does this guy? Because I know it's a guy, uh, believe that in taking that approach he is helping his kids the most i think there's i think that you get to a gray area when you start to talk about like competition and competitiveness of like coaches and players like i have it you know we in those games we are winning 14 to 1 you know we tell our players to you know not steal every base and stuff sure. and and there's a competitiveness in those players and in some you know coaches who might have been players that like you know there's a reason they made made it to the MLB or to the minors, like they have that competitive fire. And I think there's a way to provide an outlet for that without making the other team hate the game. Like there's, there is a balance of that is like, you can still be competitive, still like want to like play the best baseball possible without it turning into embarrassing another team or player or kid, you know, I think, I think that's the biggest thing is like finding that balance and not letting that competitiveness turn into animosity i guess sure yeah that guy was probably taught that right yeah like that's who his jv coach was 20 years ago whoever it was and snowball effects over yep. and over and over again hurt people hurt people yeah <laughs> i mean it's <laughs> you know and it's and it's tough because like so uh so again we're talking about parents mm-hmm. so um several weeks ago we had a tournament um and uh, we had both of our um, our 13 teams were playing on the same field. And I was, um, you know, watching my son's team. And then I was trying to go back and forth and watching our other 13s play. And uh, I, I went to go to take a restroom break. And I walk into the restroom. And I see, uh, I see this parent uh, talking to a kid full uni. Who it's like, it's very clearly this kid was just like, it was like, hey, coach, can I go to the bathroom? Got to run to the bathroom, like do my business and then get back in the dugout. Mm-hmm. And the kid is just like trying to do his business in the bathroom. And the parent is like, hey, man, like you guys got to get the bats going. To a 13 year old kid. <laughs> and it's, bro, he's in the bathroom. You you can't provide a, a moment of solitude. <laughs> a moment of solitude from like, uh, and again, uh, I, I just, it blows my mind when when you have parents in that situation that just kind of like uh if if you go to the bathroom and Jared Kelnick is walking out as you're walking in and you want to say to Jared Kelnick hey man like you got to get the stick on dude uh first of all i mean who are you yeah. who, who are you yeah i like I, uh, yeah, so like, let's put that to the side. But like, that's uh, that's a full blown full blown adult who's at the highest level of consequence, and to a degree, part of the thing that that happens when you work into that level of consequence is you have to kind of accept all the stuff that comes with it, right? Like, uh, like fans jawing at you from this from the stadium. You know, you're trying to get your pregame working in your bullpen, and people are yelling at you and screaming at you, and you know, and, and if you make an error that like. Uh, you know, there's just like people that jump on Twitter and they'll like DM your wife and be like, you're, you know, so-and-so, you should go kill yourself. Like, that's literally a thing that's happening right now. Yeah. To pros, yeah. So when it, when it, when some of that stuff is bleeding into the youth side, uh, it's just like, to me, I, I think we have to, there has to have some sort of like grand reckoning for parents to realign what we're trying to get out of this thing. Um, 
I think it's funny. I don't know if this is kind of where you're going, but I think I saw, I think I saw you retweeted on Twitter either yesterday or the day before. And it was, um, I think it, a lot of it comes down to ego as parents and coaches. hundred percent. And I saw you retweet this tweet. I can't remember who, what it was exactly, but it was along the lines of like, parents stop pretending you were Ted Williams when you were playing. Oh, humbib. Yeah, yeah, that was, um, it was like, it was something along those lines. Was that, I think that was Jeff Leach. I think that was Jeff. Yeah, it was, it was something great like that. It was like, parents, on your ride home, stop pretending you were Ted Williams when you played. And I think that, like, a lot of these times, like, that parent yelling at that kid in the bathroom, there's a good chance that kid was is probably better than that parent was at 13 years old. A hundred percent. You know? Dude, and, I'm, I'm living that life right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm living that life. <laughs> Yeah, no, hundred percent. Like I, I have to three hot throws to my son in long toss. Yeah, I, I weigh two hundred and twenty five pounds. Yeah, <laughs> like I can probably beat him in terms of EV off of a T. Yeah, pitch ball. Mm, but when you were, I don't know, dude. <laughs> but and then think back to when you were thirteen. Could, sure. Yeah, like that's like my thing. I'm I'm young enough where like you know I'm only twenty eight, so I'm just about to have my ten year high school reunion. Let's go. That's, so, well, that's yeah. yeah good so, good luck. So depressing uh, night. So. <laughs> Like I'm young enough to where like I'm coaching high schoolers. Mm-hmm. I was just there ten years ago, yeah. And I can recognize like I I feel like eighty two to eighty five in high school as a lefty. It's firm, dude. And we're and we're seeing kids sitting eighty nine ninety. Yeah. Like I'm not here to tell anyone like you got to figure it out. Like you know I was this this and this. Like even someone who did probably make like a D one team ten years ago. Like there's a lot of kids that are better than these kids, and I think that ego part is is another issue that like the adults in the room have to take a step back and like take that out of their their coaching or their parenting is like you know you're allowed to fail, you're allowed to struggle, be behind other kids, things like that. Like I I think back to like when I played, I had a lot of like failures in my baseball career and it helped me i think be a pretty level-headed like coach that can kind of connect with players on a different level than just like we're gonna do this this and this um like i gave up a walk-off home run in a league championship my junior year of high school like i understand what that feels like and like um and it can kind of like you know prevent that from happening to kids but more in like a way of like like i was great this is how you'd be great. It's right. like, no, like I've experienced failure and like, we want to do these kind of things because I want to protect you from those sure. failures and kind of like that parenting thing. Yep. It's like, but it comes from a place of humility rather than like, I was the best. You need to like follow me and do what I'm saying type of thing. Yeah. And, and I think the thing that I always keep coming back to is that I think our game is disproportionately affected by this stuff because, because a lot of times you just, you get like none, nothing yet negative developmental information. You don't get that. We get a box score. You you just get a box score, right? And like anything in track and field, like they don't, you can't do track and field without a stopwatch and a tape measure. You just can't, <laughs> right? And and within that stratification, you're going to have a first, second, third place, right? You're You're going to have uh you know relay races where there is a team result but you're also quantifying development in that did you throw the javelin five meters farther than before Mm -hmm. did you cut uh did you cut three seconds off of your butterfly time in a hundred meter sprint in swimming Mm -hmm. like it's just implicit in that game but i think the thing that a lot of times is implicit in our game is a box score and at the end of the day you know, we, we conceptualize our game as like you're going to play six, seven, nine innings and and there is going to be a result. And like, we do this in T-ball. <laughs> like, we, we literally do it in T-ball. Uh, and typically, the, you know, T-ball leagues that I've been around, you know, it's very much like you're going to have, you know, you're going to bat the lineup, then you roll it, and then you bat the lineup. And we don't kind of keep score, although I've seen T-ball games where they keep score, and that's a, that's a whole other ball of wax. Um, but like we're taking five and six year old children and expecting them to, the best way to learn how to play the game is just by playing like three up, three down, six in a baseball. Like that's, that's nuts. Yeah. That's absolutely nuts. And like, and to that point, uh, shout out to my man, Jeff, I want to try to see if I can 
So uh, we lost audio during my playing this uh, this clip uh, on the show. So I'm going to go ahead and just narrate it for you. Um, so my man Jeff, shout out to shout out to him for sending this this clip. It's a three. It's literally three seconds of a t-ball game. Um, and when the video starts, uh, you can see like five kids kind of in the picture on defense, uh, a hitter at the plate, and a ball that's being put in play. Um, and then what follows is just like the the abject chaos and just the the beautiful chaos of a t-ball game because uh within about those first three seconds uh all these kids uh like just kind of enter the screen now all of a sudden you have like like seven defensive players that are all kind of in the same like three foot radius um the runner from first base is trying to advance to second meanwhile the, the runner from second base decided the best thing for him to do was actually go back to first base uh they they collide uh the runner uh or the base runner the hitter uh, starts to move up the field from home plate. Uh, and there's, you know, of course, like also a well-intentioned dad who kind of like spots this chaos and tries to kind of uh, stem the tide a little bit. And he's fielding the ball. It's just crazy uh, and great and awesome. And man, you just got to love T-ball. Saying uh, an insane three seconds. <laughs> That's three seconds of That's a T-ball great. game. Yeah. Imagine what that looks like over the course of like a 60 minute, you know, uh, hour and a half game. Yeah. Um. And, and and the thing I think about a lot is like is what soccer does with their game when when kids are young. Pee wee soccer, it's like three v three. Yeah. Small field, small, goals. small goal, right? <laughs> um, but like it's a small field configuration, a small roster, because what you're trying to do is trying to get these kids to get as many touches as possible. Mm-hmm. Um I, I think I have possibly made this point about soccer practices and other environments, but I'll just regurgitate it again because I just say the same stuff over and over because stuff doesn't change. So like I just had like my same talking points for like five years ago. Uh, but like you look at good soccer practices and they think about the skill that they're trying to uh, teach and they they start that skill and introduce it in like a non-constrained environment, right? There's going to be no defensive player. Your job is just like dribble around a box uh, with a ball at your feet, try to get as many touches as possible. Don't lose it outside of the box. And you have like nine other kids that are all dribbling in the box. Mm-hmm. So within that, there there is a little bit of constraint in that like I'm trying to not run into you and I'm trying to not run into you and I'm trying to like not kick your ball but keep mine close at my feet. And that's how we introduce the skill. Mm-hmm. And then you scale it and you introduce a constraint. And it's like, all right, now it's now it's 2v1. Passing. Yeah, you right? introduce passing. Yeah. We're literally setting the, the, the game up in that the offensive players are set up to succeed and the defensive player really has to make choices. And then we scale it further. Now we went to now we went two on one, now we're gonna go two on two. And now it's an even thing. So now you get the defense and the offensive players all get to essentially learn how to make different choices, correlate those choices and perceptions with movement, and then you just take it into the game. Like every every soccer scrimmage that I ran always ended with a scrimmage because I, I wanted to try to to build that progression every time. It's hard to do that in baseball. Yeah. You know, it's it's just really it's really hard. The mechanical part of our game is like, all right, well if you have if you have a team of twelve, you know, like the best thing you can do is like a four four four. Four hitters, four infielders, four outfielders, and then you just kind of rotate through. But if the game action is contingent upon me being able to throw strikes. And I'm a child, mm-hmm. and I zoo balls all over the place. Yeah. Uh, you know, the whole thing just kind of it has one really significant uh, failure point that's contingent upon uh, the performance of like a prepubescent child to locate a baseball in like a 17 inch wide target. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think, and then on top of that, not only like the mechanics of the game, but like I think more than any sport, obviously it's kind of a cliche at this point, but like you know they say baseball is like a game of failure but it's true it's a cliche but it's it's just yeah. true about our game yeah exactly and i think and i think that's also part of the problem is like we're expecting like kids to be able to hop into this game that is so based upon failure as like an outcome and it's like you know you you use track or swimming as an example like you know if you if you lose your track heat and you come in seventh place wow, you still ran 800 meters at like a, a good time. Like that's still an impressive thing. If you strike out on three pitches, there's no like thing to fall back on <laughs> uh, as a kind of as a kid is like, other than what we are trying to kind of get out there is like, oh, well, did you take your best swings? Did you? If it's not built in, yeah, it's not by the, the coaching staff. Exactly. Yeah. And it, it, you're exactly right because it all, it all revolves around your coach's ability to provide context. Like, mm-hmm. It's, it's everything. 
Yeah, and the context you... is laid out automatically based on the sport. Correct. The coaches have to provide that in baseball more than anything. Yeah, else. you could literally have a checkbox on a whiteboard in the dugout, be like, like, oh, is a check because he had three good swings, and then yeah. the entire context changes for the kid, mm-hmm. and it costs you thirty dollars to buy a whiteboard and a pen. <laughs> yeah, and it changes twelve kids' experience for three months. Yep. Yeah, like simple things that can really change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like I think it, it all just starts with, it starts with the 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 zero step there, which is I'm not just going to go off of this game changer box box score yep. to define my experience, which is the easy thing to do. It's very easy to just pull the box score like this is what happened. And and not only is it easy, but I think it's also the way that we engage with the game recreationally for our teams. And as fans, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, you know, like, I I don't get a chance. I I used to watch every Dodger game. I I had a streak of years where it was like, I put in, I got 162 in. Like, I... I, That's impressive. I got got a call from uh, the Mariners a few years ago because I bought like 40 single game tickets and they called me and asked if let's I go to season tickets <laughs> <laughs> so i get you i'm, I'm yeah. you. like i can i can get there yeah but like when i so now uh, i don't have that type of time yeah. uh a lot of times i just jump on the mob app and i'll check the box score right like i mean that's that's how i engage with the game at that level i think the problem is is that if we don't and again this is just like this this larger reckoning with parents and youth baseball to help them understand that there is more outcomes and more outputs that they can pay attention to other than the box score. Um, it's like we, you know, it's uh, we're redoing like our free programs right now and like the free individual program, and the free team program. And one of the things that's going to be in that free team program is a quality at bat tracking sheet to literally hit on what you just said, Ben, which is just like for, for a kid uh, who is acclimating to the game and in uh, skill and technique or like lagging behind, for that kid that goes up and like whiffs on three pitches, if there were three athletic swings, I'm checking that box, man. Like I, I am 100% checking that box because it has to start somewhere. Uh, and, and I would even go one step further in that I would incentivize an aggressive approach on a hittable ball, even if it was a swing and miss, as opposed to... Like the slappy ground ball. Yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> because just one of those things, one of those things has a very, uh, it has a defined shelf life. Yeah. You know, like it, it just does. Um, you know, we've, we've had some conversations with some of the kids in our org um, over the last, I, I don't know, probably four or six weeks about the developmental progress we've made relative to what's coming next. 12 is the last year you're on this 4660 field in youth. I mean, obviously 12 in travel, I think around us is like 5070. Yeah. But you go 50, 70, 54, 80, 60, 90 in a, in a real quick turn. Really mm-hmm. fast. And, and like, and you you can, I guess, debate the the merits of like the pony approach where they introduce some of the, the larger sizes earlier. I, I'm, I, I don't know enough to kind of say what's right or what's wrong there. But I do know that like uh, I, I was talking to a parent you know, about like the developmental progress her kid made. Kid is up like uh, like 10 ticks uh, of top eighth exit velocity. Uh, top eighth exit velocity being like the top 12 and a half percent of all your batted balls. Great indicator of like what you're performing as a hitter when you're going great. Um, and the kid, I think, is up like five ticks on, on throwing velocity. Uh, I could be wrong about that. But anyways, I was just like, um, the reason that it's important to get from 60 to 60 miles, 65 miles an hour throwing velocity as a 13 year old is because if you only throw 60 on a 90 foot field, where can you play? Second base? Yeah. First. Right. Maybe. Maybe. It's it's hard to put a kid like that in the outfield because if it's a big field, it, now you're looking at like triple cutting a throw from right to second. That, I mean, double cut at least. Yeah, that's yeah. tough. You know, it's just... And, and I think what we're trying to get at is, is I think it is helpful for parents, again, to inform their perspective and approach. And the number one thing when it comes to some of this bad behavior is like, you can't, you can't future proof your kid's athletic life. You know, this, this team of, of the 10 U kids in Abilene, Texas, the kids that won that game, they didn't put one brick on this base of like, I'm going to go D1. Mm-hmm. You, you did not do that. You can't do that at 10. I just, I don't think that that's a thing. Uh, I would not disagree to say that it's great for kids to learn the value of winning. I think it's great for them to learn how to engage with the game. I think it's also great for them to learn the value of losing. 
Yeah. Like, yeah, that's what I was talking about earlier. It's like some people like, you know, who, who've never had that are now like trying to instill that, like we don't lose. It's like, no, I mean, well, they struggle when they're adults too. If something doesn't go well in their life, they just don't know how to react to negative circumstances. Mm-hmm. Negative circumstances, like your second episode of a podcast, vaporizing <laughs> the audio. You just got to adapt or die, baby. Like that's, that's, the, I mean, but seriously, uh, I think the thing that needs to be communicated to parents, if you could just grasp one specific idea, is to approach baseball like track and field. I I honestly would just start there and understand that there's two layers to the way that you can kind of communicate your experience. Yes, it's going to resolve in a win or a loss. And all of us want to win. Everybody wants that. But if the only carrot you choose to follow is on the end of one stick, you are a slave to that thing. Mm-hmm. You just are. And that's not the that's not the only way that this game can be approached. And and like certainly uh if every rec baseball field had a Hawkeye system on it, it would be a lot easier for us to get this developmental information. That'd be sweet. <laughs> That'd be pretty sweet. Uh right like, now like the uh the meme of the society if every field and it's like the brand oh, yeah. new modern yeah. society yeah like yeah it's a utopia if every, if, yeah if every field had a hawkeye on it yeah uh <laughs> like i'd love to have hawkeye or track gun at every field that's not going to happen so the, the so the leverage point ends up being again in youth baseball the leverage point is your your parents who coach understanding uh i, I think just at, at the at the end of the day two things you don't have to fear failure in this game at this level if, if your kid is playing for Tim Corbin and failure means that you might get bounced, fine. If 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 failure, uh, if you're playing for for you at Centralia and failure means, hey, maybe we're gonna we're gonna redshirt you or maybe we're like, fine. We're talking about adults. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about children who baseball is not their job, it, it just seems completely inappropriate for for that kind of that to be the the message. So I, th- I think it starts number one with just like understanding that stuff. And then I think number two is just, uh, again, like leveraging technology to understand development. You know, like you can, you can buy a couple pocket radars and start to quantify this stuff on throwing velocity. You can buy a bat sensor, you can buy a blast, diamond kinetics, you can understand that stuff. Like it's, and it's only going to get more accessible. Uh, I think, I think an interesting thing too is like, yeah, the technology and kind of what Ben mentioned earlier about, you know, you can get a whiteboard, hundred percent, and things like that. And just generally, as a coach, one thing I have an assistant coach for my JV team, and he played college baseball at Cornell. You know, he's a great player. Um, what he does really well is throughout the game, we have game changer and box scores to tell us all that afterwards. Sure. As a coach, we don't need to focus on that in game. We don't need to say see that a kid popped out and say, "Hey, you popped out. You're zero for one." You know that's in the box score. Oh, like, can what... you can you imagine? Yeah, like, and and so this this what our my assistant coach who's really good. What he does really well is he focuses on all those little things that you can point out to a kid throughout a game that are then you know those little benchmarks of, dude, you hit that ball harder than I've seen you hit it. Like even if it's just kind of qualitatively rather than like full scale tech quantitatively, like you can as a coach focus on those little things like. Um, you know, a kid gives up a um, couple runs in an inning as a pitcher or whatever, but like, oh, that was the most aggressive I've seen you as a pitcher on the mound. 100%. Like, you know, that's the kind of stuff you want to focus on. Um, like, you just ran into a good lineup or whatever, and they hit the ball around, but that was the most strikes I've seen you throw, and the best your curveball looked. You know, that little stuff as a coach, that's the kind of stuff that you should be focusing on as a coach, not the outcome, you know, Maybe in the seventh inning, you kind of put on your managerial hat. And sure. In a high school, college game, you put on your managerial hat and say, oh, we need this. So this guy who has a better average, we need him to get on base or whatever it may be. But throughout the game, none of that should matter. The score shouldn't matter as a coach. Like You are just watching what happens to that individual in that moment and what was their process throughout that moment and not the outcome. And like... I think that can dramatically change how kids interact with the game. I think we do it really well, my my assistant coach and I, and those kids understand that. Like when they get on base, you know, if they hit a weak ground ball, you know, not to harp on the negative side of things, but like when they hit a weak ground ball and they're like, oh, I got a base hit. And it's like, yeah, but but honestly, did you? <laughs> yeah, like did you earn that base hit? <laughs> really what we want. Or, or a kid hits 
a 350 foot sacrifice fly and he's like dang it and it's like well i mean you hit that ball yeah you hit it hard. harder than a lot of college kids can hit it i don't know what you're yeah. <laughs> complaining about um and uh and so just focusing on those little things i think especially myself being a pitching guy pitching is the area where yeah. that is like you know not everything's going to go your way as a pitcher even even little things like for hitters and pitchers like um you know as a hitter for example you lay off a oo curveball and the umpire calls it a, and it's a ball but the umpire calls it a strike yeah. like as a coach if you then say like what are we looking at let's strike one no like that totally changes versus a, a coach saying that's a great take you don't want to swing in an oo curveball especially one that you know is a ball yeah so what if it's a strike like just those little kind of attitude shifts in every moment within a game totally changes how players will kind of understand the game and comprehend the uh, the consequences. Hundred percent. So, so basically, I think the point that we're making is that like the the technology you can bring to your baseball field is a whiteboard. Yeah, <laughs> like it, that's gonna be that cheap. Or an yeah. or an attitude adjustment as a coach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I I don't know that there's anything uh, you know more quantifiable or research based that we can that we can say on it other than just like, uh, it is valuable and good in youth baseball to provide additional context for the experience outside of the box score. Yeah, I'm not saying that that we shouldn't try to win. I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to compete our tails off. I'm just saying that like. Man, the 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 more that we are slave to the to one carrot on the end of one stick, it it creates this type of environment. It it truly truly does. And like, um, you know, I, I we're we're doing some some market research and some other travel teams and like, uh, in our in our area just to make sure that like, well, what are we offering versus what they're offering? Mm-hmm. And like one of them, it's just like, you know, we're ranked such and such on the national whoopty woo and like, uh, I, I was talking to to Mike, uh, our our CEO, and he was just like. You don't want to compete with those teams, and 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 it's and it's crazy to say this, but like we really don't, we we really really don't. It, I I don't, I am never going to care about a ranking of a fourteen U and under team, just not, not one hundred percent not going to do that because of all the decision making process that comes downstream from deciding that that's a thing that's important. Yeah, and if your 18U team is, sure. And if you built that because of your foundation in player development and things like that, sure. But if you're just like having a tryout and getting all the best kids and calling yourself the number one ranked team or whatever, and, you know, it's a little different. <laughs> yeah, like I, I know, um, God, I think this is Coach Jack. I had somebody that messaged me just the other day on, on Twitter or tagged me or something. Um, yeah, he was like, uh, uh, yeah, shout, shout out to Jack Carter. Uh, in down in California, um, he said, uh, overall long-term development of the individual athlete would be a goal at every age and every level of play, including the major leagues. And like, uh, my thought is, is it like, I don't know, from a grand majority of our industry, it's not, yeah. <laughs> it, it's just, it's broadly not. And I think you can paint with a pretty broad brush, almost like at the high school level on down. Um, and just say that like, we're not adequately indexing for, uh, for the way that, that shaping this thing around development can change our ecosystem. We're just, we're just not. Um, so like, uh, just, especially like, uh, in, in this era of like, you know, um, where we're kind of more accepting of like, you know, the mental strain in sports and things like that as well. Like we're getting farther away while we're falling farther behind in that kind of area of like, you know, kids are like, kids take this, sporting event now and bring it into other areas of their life mentally and things like oh, that. Oh, hundred percent. And I think, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to be old man yells at cloud, especially cause I'm no, I'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like, you know, it's a new generation of kids and like our youth is different. So like, and we're more accepting of like the mental, mental health benefits of, you know, positive encouragement and things like that. And so the fact that we're like getting farther away from that while it's, more needed yeah is is wild wild yeah and and i'll i mean i'll go ahead and just note that like the the problem with that of having an ecosystem with with teams and parents and coaches and parents who coach having really divergent uh outcomes that they're trying to achieve is that like our kids have to play against uh, against their kids 
you know, we, we have 200 some odd kids in the academy now. It's certainly not big enough that we can just run our own ecosystem. We can't always eat our own food. So like, like we have, we have teams who have made incredible developmental gains. And, and I, I think next time we do this, I really want to lean into that side of the things and start talking about some of the data that we have about like normative values for progression from like 12 to 13, 13 to 14, because now we've started to establish that data, which allows us to start communicating context of our approach better to parents and players. Um, but, but, but kind of putting that part to the side, um, we have kids that have gained a lot and they're in a weird space where they might not yet be tournament competitive, but they're, they're improving so much on the stuff that matters the most, right? And, and I'm sure that somebody's going to yell at me for saying this, but I think the thing that matters the most is you just have to win the pitcher batter matchup. You, you have to win that matchup. Everything rolls downhill from that. Um, and, and we have kids who are developing tools or to give them that ability right now, but it's not yet resolve, resolving itself in wins and losses. And the reality is, is like some of those kids, if all we were doing is just like a slave to that one stick, those kids aren't developing because we wouldn't take them in our organization. Mm -hmm. And the crazy thing is that like smart major league teams have this approach. Uh, when, when Bodie was the director of pitching for the Reds, they signed a guy named uh, Vincent uh, Timpanelli. He was a men's league catcher. I think he's pumping like 96 off the bump now. It's not bad. Like yeah. 96, 97. Yeah. Like I, I could be wrong. I might be understating how hard he's throwing. But like if a, if a professional organization is, is looking at that type of opportunity, right? Can I turn, uh, can I turn a, a, a penny into a nickel or a nickel into a dime or a penny into a dime? Uh, we don't want our ecosystem of youth baseball to like be resistant to that same type of opportunity. Yeah, I mean, like that's crazy. Major league organizations don't look at their single A team record and say, "Oh, our single A players are the best players." Like that—that that is just totally not what happens. And the <laughs> fact that like we look at like, for example, like our organization—if we were to say like, "Oh, like our fourteen U team is is six and one or whatever they are," um, like nine and, is, nine and two, nine and two. I mean, I'm not counting. <laughs> Sorry, but it's com it's completely irrelevant. Like, it, it is a hundred percent. To especially and even to them as they get older, that nine and two is completely irrelevant. Just like, uh, you know, a single A team's players. Like, I don't know. I think I saw one time that like, um, like the Astros single A team had like the worst record in the league or whatever. But then three years later, it's like Luis it's Garcia, it's yeah, all those dudes, yeah, on their on their pitching staff, and it's like it's because they don't care about like wins and losses, even in minor league baseball where people are getting paid to win baseball, to play baseball, like so for an organization to look at their fourteen U team and their thirteen U team and say, oh well, we're, we're we have a winning record with our thirteen and fourteen U team, that means we're doing something right. It's like it has absolutely zero relevance to what you're doing as an organization yeah like uh I, you know i think the longer that we get a chance to do this thing with the academy I, I think you're right that like the more that we get a chance to see wins at like the 12 through 14 level should be a reflection of like how good of how good of a job have we done serving these kids developing tools that puts them on a path to be increasingly competitive as they go and, and, and again, to just kind of like reemphasize the point, because you have all this change in play space that takes place between the age of 12 to 14, if you're not adequately prepared for that change, you just, there is a, there is a mine, there is a minefield in the road ahead of you. Yeah. Uh, and, and like, and I, I think if you had parents and coaches and parents who coach that are more aware and cognizant of these type of changes, it forces you to look at this thing a little bit more developmentally. Now, I, I will also grant that, like, um, it also sucks to lose. Um, and, and I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time thinking about how we can build a system where we can try to find uh, equitable gameplay for, like, 13-year-olds that are still developing. Because that's a thing, mm -hmm. you know? And, and, like, and it's tough right now to even find an outlet for that simply because a lot of the ecosystem doesn't, doesn't operate on that wavelength. Um, but just like, I don't want to have the other conversation, which is that like a parent brings to me a 12 or a 13 year old kid, they're behind the curve. And I have to say to them, we can't take you because you're going to hurt us. 
because like I because the thing that I'm going to come back to is that the the new 12 year old that just joined with us mm-hmm. kid has never played baseball before um he's a bigger kid certainly he's probably like a genetic 14 year old and he's 12 but the kid hit the ball like I think 76 or something and he's he's been playing baseball for like 3 weeks yeah like when and it's funny cuz like you talk about we just talked about like on the major league level or like professional baseball level like as an organization especially as like you know since I, even just since i was in the high school age and like playing uh select baseball there's so many more teams and more like programs out yeah, there man. and like and so your player pool is actually going down theoretically and like as an organization wouldn't you want to focus on like how do we turn these pennies into yeah. dimes and nickels and dimes or whatever um and like as an organization that seems like it would be a, a valued incentive just like in that way not just like what's good for the kids but like as a, like kind of the more like business side and like end results as a for your older teams like wouldn't you want to be able to have a team full of dev kids that end up being legitimate baseball players at 18 years old yeah i i, I mean too worried about the upcoming weekend box score yeah 100 percent yeah I mean, I honestly, uh, you know, maybe I shouldn't say this on a podcast, but like, I honestly think that like for, you know, for like next year's 13 team that, that needs some more seasoning, maybe we don't do games. Maybe we do, uh, every, every two to three weeks, we do like a home run derby. We do a velo, like a mound velo, like a competition for like velo plus location. And we do like a ground ball, fly ball, like golden glove, uh, journey like because because honestly yes i i I grant that we the kids need to learn how to play the game right yeah but we also understand that like the skill is paramount so like what would you rather go out and and play a 13u game where you get uh you're playing against just like somebody that has a complete you know mercenary approach to the game where they're going to get up on you they're going to get up on you early and they're going to still you know send runners and they're going to still fake bunt and they're still going to do you know i think yeah I mean, what i would say is very bush league in the approach <laughs> it but like to be really clear i understand it because what they're trying to do is get out of the game as quickly as possible to burn the least amount of pitching as possible because they're looking at possibly playing five or six games in two days right like i i understand yeah, I mean, the approach for the 25 to two or whatever 100%. maybe 10 to, 10 to two or whatever 100 percent. but all i'm saying is it's just i i'm i'm really questioning for for me internally, like w- when you have a, a a cohort of kids that kind of uh, are that way, yep. are we better off just like completely like let's color outside the lines? I can't I can't remember if they blended together a little bit for me. Whether it was the first podcast or the the, the lost podcast that we the lost one R I P that we talk that we talked about, um, you know these tournaments where there's no sense of like is this team gonna match up well against oh, this other team? Yeah, and like. I think that was the second episode. So yeah. yeah. So so we talked a lot about like, you know, if there was a way to kind of eliminate the like everyone just pays for a tournament and you play who you play and like you might match up a team against a team that you're gonna lose thirty to zero. Like if we could figure out like a way to kind of like, you know, have teams kind of like okay, you know, if if organizations actually measured things and said, oh well, we have our six pitchers throw. 70 miles sure. an hour versus your six pitchers throw 45 <laughs> or oh, yeah. whatever the drastic yeah, difference yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, um, Oh, that's real. And maybe it, maybe it won't perfectly match them up, but like... It'll be closer. Yeah, you're not getting, you're not getting uh, you know, a 16-year-old team who has three guys throwing 85 playing a 16-year-old team that has three guys who can touch 75. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah. just kind of like... And, and that will provide a better outlet for that kind of game structure so you don't have to kind of be worried about that and kind of fear going to tournaments and having kids hate baseball. Yep. Um, I think if you can figure out a way to do that in a better, in a better fashion. And I think there are like, I know some tournaments are trying to create like gold and silver divisions. And if you know you're, but then again, there are some organizations who put their teams in silver divisions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh yeah. I mean, I, uh, yeah, I don't want to go, but, but, (laughs) I, I saw I saw a thirteen. But I mean, to, to to even continue on that, like what we were talking about, like uh, with our tw- like 
12U or 13U teams that need like more development, like what's wrong with them playing a good 11-year-old team or whatever, you know, yep. or an a, a 11-year-old team that they match up with and not it feeling like, oh, we're playing some, like we're so bad, we're playing 11 year It's like, this is who you match up against. And like, eventually, maybe you'll be better than those kids down the road because, yep. but right now, like, having that even matchup in the game environment is what's best for everyone. Um, and like even the team who might be like a little bit better, like they're not going to want to always play horrible teams. And, yeah. Like, so I think it helps everyone is if you kind of can figure out that, that system of like um, just stratification. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But like at the end of the day, everybody's interest in having that system is solely dependent upon not having this my job is to make i want to make you hate baseball yeah <laughs> so like so so again i think the thing we just kind of come back to is just like man so much of this is, is parents you, you really have the power to to shape this thing around uh, the experience you want it to, to have um and certainly i will agree that there's a bunch of blockers when it comes to you know this idea of like playing tournaments but like maybe that's just not a thing that we need to do you know may, maybe what we need to do is kind of communicate to parents that like look we're just going to flip the experience a little bit and make it look more like a sandlot. Because if we show up on a sandlot, I think I made this point in, in the last episode that like, that's what kids are doing when they're picking teams. They're the children are literally self-regulating for a lot of this biological age versus calendar age, um, skill output, skill technique. Like that's what kids do. Mm -hmm. We, we, on the other hand, it's just like, well, I'm going to put together like a 11 of the most stud, uh, 14 year olds I can and everybody's gonna we're just gonna grind them all into dust to try to get this W it's uh yeah so parents whiteboards uh low tech low code low tech high context uh I think that's just the that's just the unlock there um so uh I think we can wrap this thing up um I will say once again bittersweet uh bittersweet episode because Ben is our Buster Rhymes he's leaving the leaders of the new school to go have a productive uh, solo career doing songs with Janet Jackson. Um, I'm, I'm just fired up for you, man, to be able to go out there and crush. Um, it's going to be fun to watch. And, uh, and Tony and I will be uh, continuing to, to, to kind of work on this thing, and we'll add in um, the new addition to the Academy for next, next podcast episode. Um, I didn't go out of my way to hire someone that looked smaller than me, but, but fortunately, because Ben is leaving, I don't now look like a... Like a uh, I can't say, can you say a small person? <laughs> I don't, I don't look like a small person <laughs> relative to you guys. So anyways, uh, I, I am got, Devin. I got, oh, one yes. I got one last thing Go to finish up what we we're saying about like parents do this stuff. Yes. Don't be afraid to be the first movers or the first adopters. No. Oh yeah. That's, I think the biggest thing is like, well, parents see everything around them and they're like, yep. I, I can't, I can't do it because everyone else is doing it this way. Just don't be afraid to do it. I think that's one thing that, is so like impressive about like what you've done and what we're doing here is like we're trying to be those people to kind of take those bullets and figure this all out and then provide it all for everyone else is like you know just just don't be afraid to dip your foot in the pool 100 percent uh yeah man first through the door is going to catch the most bullets yeah i've caught a lot of bullets <laughs> yeah. uh but but i will but i will tell you again to just kind of substantiate that the value of what you the, the point you made tone is that like um you're not beholden to everyone. You're beholden to the 12 families and the 12 children that you have the most contact with. And like, and if you just win those people, that, that's, that's all you have to do. You, you just have to win, win meaning that we're providing a, a positively emotionally validating experience for those kids. That, that's the, that's the, if I've, I've taken anything away from, um, from like losing like a little league end of season tournament championship game because I didn't um, I didn't bench the worst kids on my team. Uh, you just you just have to win those those kids. You and have to win back, those families. And even back to you, what you talked about kind of the beginning of this is even on a smaller note, as a parent to your child. Yep. Like win that relationship in that situation, and every, if everyone does that, we'll have a better environment. Yeah. So like, so, so again, to Jeff Leach's point, like, don't get in the car ride back home, act like you were Ted Williams, uh, cause you weren't, uh, I, I certainly, I certainly wasn't. And like the majority of the conversations that I have with my son leaving games now 
if we even if he wants to initiate a conversation about the game is me asking him questions what the, what am i gonna say i was born in the same hospital as randy johnson does that count did I, right? did I get to... oh, that's that's like a five mile an hour <laughs> velo tape. easy dude easy easy all right uh for uh Ben, Tony, and myself. It's the Driveline Academy podcast, the Youth Baseball Podcast, Skills at Scale podcast. Apparently, I'm very indecisive podcast. We'll come up with a name for it later. Thank you guys for joining us, and we'll catch you another time.